Content warning. This series will discuss topics that may bring up painful experiences for you. Please take the time to surround yourself with good medicines. If need be, pause the playback and go for a walk, stretch, have a glass of water, and come back to the show when you feel comfortable. Welcome to the Métis Speaker Series. I'm your host, Darian Kovacs. On this podcast series, we will be exploring learning, healing, and rebuilding within the Métis community. Our goal is to create awareness of and generate discussion about Métis issues, as well as how to heal from and move forward in a healthy way. We hope to reduce Métis invisibility in BC through the personal stories from our Métis community members. This show is brought to you by Métis Nation BC and Jelly Marketing. Welcome to another episode of the Métis Speaker Series. I'm thrilled to introduce you to Julie Nolan, who is a reporter and a content producer with Global BC. She previously spent more than nine years as a multi-skilled journalist with CTV News in British Columbia with a brief stint as a producer and anchor with CTV News in Edmonton. Julie also teaches journalism, media, television, and a lot more at the British Columbia Institute of Technology. She's proudly Métis and Cree and has two sons. Julie, thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, so favorite part of your job? I need to know, being doing what you do. It is hard to answer because there's so many favorite parts. But I think Linda Steele, I think you, you've, you've talked with Linda Steele before. She's got this great view on having a house party and having a really great parties when there's a bunch of reporters there. And I know that sounds maybe a bit daunting, but the great thing, the great thing about journalists is that we are such conversationalists because we get to learn a lot about a lot of topics and it has to be such a, a quick study sort of environment. And, you know, this week I got to do just a real range of stories. On Tuesday, I did stories on the issues with the three respiratory illnesses that are currently circulating in Canada and and about to hit us hard here in British Columbia. And, uh, you know, talking about the idea that maybe mask mandates are coming back and thankfully, you know, that's not happening. But there's that strong recommendation. We need to take care of ourselves. So I really appreciated doing that story and getting, you know, comment from the government around what they were going to do the next day, which, you know, we were we were given the heads up that, no, they weren't going to introduce a, a mask mandate. So you did. I did that story on, on Tuesday. And then Wednesday, I did this very sad story about this gentleman who was involved in a collision with a, a person in an alleged stolen vehicle. This poor man, 73 years old, and, you know, really struggling with the no-fault insurance set up at ICBC. He's got seven broken ribs and, you know, on top of cancer treatments and heart conditions. And, oh, my goodness, it was just such a sad story. And then yesterday morning, I learned, oh, you're going to go to Hyde Creek Hatchery and you're going to learn about salmon, the spawning issues and the, the, the drought that we're experiencing. And, you know, yes, I used to fish all the time, you know, coming from a very traditional Indigenous family that enjoyed fishing and hunting. But I, you know, I'm from the prairie, so I had to learn a lot about salmon yesterday. <laughs> so, so 
<laughs> you know, it's, you have to be open to the ambiguity of the job and, and really being curious and trying to learn what you can around each of these issues. And so I'm naturally that. So I enjoy that. My partner is also in the media and he and I were talking about this just a few weeks ago and how lucky we are that we've had such rich learning experiences with, with every story that we do. I mean, he, he's been able to fly in the Goodyear blimp and, you know, like how many people could say, oh yeah, I've ridden in the blimp, you know, and, you know, I've, I've been up in fighter jets as a reporter and experienced something like that. Used to fly in the helicopter with Chopper 9 at CTV, you know, like the stuff we have been able to do, um, you know, for me personally, I've got to meet famous people, but mostly it's just learning to connect with, with real people and real stories and trying to honor them properly through strong storytelling. Uh, you mentioned growing up and, and having a strong Indigenous connection there. Tell us about that and, and kind of your connection to your Métisness as well. It's interesting because... I feel like when you come from that mix, mix of a heritage where I felt a strong connection to, to the Métis side, but also to the Cree growing up. And, you know, it's, do I feel like there's more of a pull to one side or the other? And the answer is no. I feel pretty much in the middle with that. Having, you know, like, for example, I was sharing this story not long ago about my grandmother had made me moccasins when I was was five. and. I remember being upset because my feet weren't big enough to fit them. And I remember waiting to fit into those moccasins and how happy I was once I got to to wear them and thinking how beautiful they were. And she passed not long after. And so I didn't get another pair from her. And, you know, it's things like that. And just also the daily practice of, you know, smudging and just like feeling you know, that I have that opportunity to, you know, cleanse my, my soul, my energy for a lot of the work that I do, which can be hard, you know, in that, you know, we can deal with some pretty sad stories all the time. And so, and I don't know if you're like this too, as you get older, you, you know, I feel a lot more emotional. Like, you know, I was with this gentleman, like I said, on, on Wednesday, And, you know, he started to cry because he said, you know, this has been a really bad year and he started to cry. And I, I could feel like that power of him opening up to me and sharing his story with me. And I was very much like ready to cry. And, and I, I feel like I'm (laughs) really breaking down as years go on, but I don't think that's a bad thing, right? Like you want to, you want to be real. And so, you know, I, I, I don't want to cleanse myself from that kind of stuff because that's, that's the good stuff that makes us good people. Right. But it's the, it, it's some of this, the really sad, tragic stuff. And my partner and I were talking about this this week when you deal with, you know, say court stories where there's testimony, where it's really graphic and, you know, we do filter some of that information, either because there's publication bans or other things that are going on. And I've had to deal with some pretty sad court stuff as well in recent weeks. So, you know, you need that ability to kind of, whew, 
I got to get that out of out of my world a little bit, you know, and I got to get back to my family and and the people that are important here. So yes, it's that's where I I notice that I do bring that in, and as well, like I mentioned, the storytelling. I feel like when you have that opportunity to really appreciate the importance of solid storytelling, it's something that we grow up in our, I think, in the in the the culture. But it's that again, you're you're now putting it into practice. And, you know, when I would mentor young Indigenous journalists, and we, you know, I've done this for a long time, where you're, you know, you're really, you know, being able to, I hope, pass along some some wisdom around how to do that well, and to capture not just the information and the facts, but also the emotion and, and all the power that can can communicate effectively. And I think that, like, nobody does that better than Indigenous peoples, in my view. So, Julie, would you say those that are listening that are Métis right now and, and thinking about a career in journalism or, or about shifting careers or joining this amazing industry, that they as a Métis person would have an advantage? I think so. And the reason I say that is that, you know, when I worked for the Sharing Circle on APTN starting in 1998, and I was with the show for several years and it was such a great opportunity. I still treasure that time on the show because we had elders that, uh, that who would actually advise us while we were producing our episodes. And, and that was so valuable and wonderful to me. But then also just to be able to connect with all of the different communities, the First Nations outside of Calgary and Edmonton and into Saskatchewan as well. And really being able to revisit that later was wonderful for me personally, but it was sort of cutting edge at the time because there wasn't that much of a, I don't think, a, an opportunity for Indigenous journalists. And this is where, you know, I'm, I'm trying to come back to my point is that we can see now there's a shift happening in a very positive way right now where, you know, for example, the new head of some of these Indigenous initiatives with uh, Chorus, Global News Nationally, Melissa Ridgen from APTN. We've been we've been talking actually this last few weeks, and she's so awesome, and I'm so excited that she's she's where she's at in the network to to really create some more positive change. But she was reaching out. She said, "Is there anyone who you know that could fill this online role to cover Western Canada?" and it's like, wow, there's, you know, there's just this tiny handful right now of journalists that have the skill set to be able to do those jobs. So, you know, I was part of an Indigenous initiative at BCIT for the last couple of years with Alan Waterman from formerly of CBC. And we like we really want to support more of these young journalists to come and like, I know it's a scary thing leaving sometimes their small, you know, towns or First Nations to come to us. So they've left a wonderful support network. We want to support them so that they are going to school and that they're feeling like it's a positive experience for them. And and what we are hearing is that for a lot of students, I mean, it's both non-Indigenous and Indigenous, but that adjustment to that kind of workload and I think just not having as much understanding and appreciation for the ability to connect through heritage and through storytelling. And that's that's something we've been really trying to do more of. 
And so to try and give a short answer to what you're asking, I think we're just coming into a great moment in history where we can start to really harness our people and our stories. And 20 something years ago, when I started on that show, it really wasn't there. And there were, there was a tremendous amount of, I don't like using the word racism in this case, but it was, you know, why would, you know, I had a colleague say to me, well, why would we, why would we care about First Nations storytelling? Why, why does that matter? Well, it matters. (laughs) And here's why, and here are these great stories. And you know, it's, I think it's coming, it's, it's just, it's just starting, but there, this is an exciting time to get going if you're a young journalist. Amazing. And for you growing up, knowing that you were Métis, knowing you had this part of your life, what, what was that like? Or what did you, how did you see it played out in your life? And, and maybe even today, how do you see it played out in your life? It was kind of a weird upbringing because we had like my sister and I, I'm the eldest and we had this you know, indigenous side of our family and the non-indigenous side. And the non-indigenous side was not very tolerant and not really very understanding. I think that some were, and I don't like to say that entire one side was that way, but there was just not enough, I think, of that side holding up where my sister and I were from. So that was that was a bit unusual, I think, because you, you know, you really want to feel like you have connection to both sides. And I felt like because the Indigenous side of my family was far more accepting of who we were, that just makes that connection easier. So I think as time went on and I got to do the show for APTN, I think that really harnessed a lot more for me about the importance of my heritage and where I wanted to sort of make a difference and in education and all these things coming coming together the way they did was it, it was chaotic in some ways but it was beautiful and to be able to go to royal roads and take the professional communication masters and I did a whole area of specialization in intercultural and international communication so I did a lot of studies on the coastal first nations which was so awesome to be able to to learn which I you know I had such a solid I think footing in, you know, Métis, Cree, Blackfoot, but I didn't have enough out here. And I mean, I've been out here since 2005. So it was, it was nice to go to school in 2008 and, and really be able to, okay, I get this now. These are the similarities. These are the differences. And, and so I have that from that academic perspective. And so it really helped once I got into to teaching intercultural communication at BCIT for several years and developed lots of curriculum around that. So it was, you know, it's been a, it's probably boring to hear me say those things, but it was, I'm, like I said, so naturally curious, so much about learning and it's, it's just been, it's just been a great journey for me. So it's always a part of everything that I do. What about teaching? Oh, I love teaching. I am taking a break couldn't do what I'm doing at Global if if I was trying to do that as well. So I had to step aside and it was really a challenge to say to the program head at the journalism program at the beginning of August, guess what? I'm going to go to Global. <laughs> I'm really sorry. I'm going to like put this aside for a bit. They w- they've actually been so 
fantastically supportive and wanting me to to do this again because it does make us better teachers when you know when we have that real world experience to apply in the classroom and and something recent to be able to say oh you know i here's what i did for this story or this was the challenge i had and this is how i navigated it because the job is not an easy one it's a, it can be a lot of blocks in in the day and you're still up against a hard deadline and so, you know, we try to teach students, okay, this is, this is how it goes. This is, this is, this is the, the drill. And it was interesting yesterday. I was, like I say, at the, the Hyde Creek Hatchery and Education Center. And this gentleman came up to me and he goes, so when is this story on? I said, tonight. And he goes, no, 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 no. Sorry. When's this story on? <laughs> I said, I said, oh, it, it's on tonight. He goes, no, no, no. I don't think you understand me. I'm saying it's the story. <laughs> like he asked me three times and I said, no, it's on tonight. And you could tell he Maybe. was like, what do you mean it's on tonight? And I said, well, we're going to be doing this story. Like we're filming this morning and I'm going to be producing and writing the story and voicing the story, putting this all together for the evening shows. It'll be on at five and at six o'clock. And like, I, I think he just couldn't wrap his brain around how quickly we have to put that material, you know, on the air. So yeah, it's, it's trying to teach that sort of stuff, like how to be efficient. But I, I do enjoy teaching. I'm glad I'm taking a break. I miss my students. I've been hearing a lot from from my my group that I had last year, and they've been coming in for internships. And I usually get one or two of them coming over, giving me a big hug. We miss you. So I really miss them as well. But I'm glad to take a little bit of a break because it, it was very hard through the pandemic. I, I'm not going to mince words. It was it was a challenge. Julie, you mentioned something about discovering kind of a through the master's program, kind of the differences in groups and people groups and cultures and nations do you feel like in the in the position that you're in now that kind of people you work with and peers and maybe call it i'm gonna this is a broad one the news industry in general knows the difference between inuit first nations and metis nope and 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 if not what could they what 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 could be done or what what are you trying to do or what i don't know is there anything that could be done about that yes i mean this is something that i was so glad that global really made such a point to hire me based on on my heritage and my experience and that was actually in the posting that I was able to apply for and and get this position and the posting actually said experience with truth and reconciliation and understanding more about these cultures you know across the country so that was that was pretty neat but then you're there and now what? And I have been able to, I think, make a tiny difference. You know, there's just so much more that we need to do. But I think that that difference has been around teaching some of my colleagues, here's how we write this. I'm certainly no expert. I'm really not an expert here. But I'm happy to try to answer some of the questions. I can't speak for, for everyone. I can't speak for all Indigenous cultures, but here's what wording I would use, or here's how I would present that information. And, you know, we even had a situation recently where I was talking with Nitu Garcha, 
from Global National who's just made tremendous inroads with different Indigenous communities across the country, but especially here in British Columbia. And, you know, we were discussing, for example, she asked me, what should I do when I go to this story in Bella Bella, you know, regarding the uh, poor grandfather yeah, you remember this story that, you know, grandfather and, and granddaughter trying to open up a bank account in Vancouver and, you know, they end up being handcuffed, treated horribly. And, you know, there was this ceremony a few weeks ago in Bella Bella. And she said, what do you think I, you know, do I need to consider this or that or whatever? And I said, again, I'm no expert, but here's what I would do. This would be my instinct to do this or bring these gifts or those sorts of things. So, you know, it's just, it's just learning to, I think, ask questions and to be respectful in that journey. And, you know, you're, you're not going to know everything, but at least, at least I'm there now that I can help. There's groups celebrating Métis Week just recently and, and Louis Riel Day. Is that talked about ever? Is it, is like, what's the stuff that makes the news? What, what is making the news these days that you're seeing that would reflect upon the Métis population in, in your news? Outlet? Hmm. You know, I actually think that's a real problem because there's not enough. We've got a lot of discussion around other backgrounds, other nations, but not enough, I think, is, is being done to, you know, really convey the, the stories from the Métis Nation in particular and what, you know, what programs, culture, what sort of things are really happening. There's not enough of that being distributed, in my opinion. I mean, certainly, I think people don't have enough knowledge in general of what being Métis is. And I had this conversation a few weeks ago where this colleague said to me, Métis Cree, isn't that the same thing? No, (laughs) that's not the same thing. And here's how it's not the same thing. I didn't scoff at that question. I just said, here's, here's, the, here, here's, here's the Cole's notes on some of the differences. And yeah, I mean, every time, you know, there's Louis Riel Day, sure, there's opportunity to be talking more about that sort of thing. Just like when we have, like, for example... You know, Remembrance Day here was just last week. And when we can talk about, you know, here's another segment of our population, our First Nations veterans, and why it's a different experience for them. Like, I was really happy that that story was done. And Krista Dow did the story for us at Global. She did a very good job. Unfortunately, I wasn't working that day, so I couldn't. I couldn't be a part of it as much as I wanted to be. But you know what I mean? Like, at least there's something changing with that. But we need to to drill down to Métis stories more. You know, we have to learn how to do that better. And what, what would be an example? Like, again, if the magic wand experiment, if you could see a story told, what would be like a story? Or what would be something? Again, I, not that you're saying this would happen right away, right? We, the, you know, it's always good to dream and have hopes and have ideas. But what would be? I think. You know, one thing we are learning from some of the the consultations that we've done in the community, because we've had advisory boards at Global. Now, this this predates my time there, but I've been able to to read some of the the notes from those exchanges, and so it's it's interesting to hear how many people in the community want to hear about positive stories 
you know, we, unfortunately, the news is usually quite toxic and negative, but there are positive stories um, that can be told. And I think that's where we need to do a better job of celebrating culture through good news and not just like, not just Indigenous cultures, but, you know, we heard this from all of these different groups. The South Asian community, the Chinese community in particular, had some pretty scathing criticism of our coverage. So it's not just one group. We're not doing a good job in general for us as journalists having that intercultural competency, but also being able to seek out those different stories. If it, if I could have my magic wand and what would I like to see, it would be more positive stories that celebrate and teach about the Métis people, but I think all Indigenous peoples are really underrepresented in the media. Full stop. We need that to change. There's a makeup company that's Indigenous. I know. Oh, Cheekbone Beauty. Oh, Cheekbone Beauty. Cheekbone Beauty. I'm she a huge a- fan. Okay. She... <laughs> Is, is I know your makeup area at at Global is that you have you you, you could stock it with cheekbone beauty it'd be amazing. Maybe. I should I so. should reach out to them and see. They did an amazing campaign with the folks at Sidley the agency called Write the Story. Yes, and it was about and it was a beautiful moving poem slash piece like it was almost what's it called spoken word piece yeah. but it was about writing the story about and it was all about news and and what how are Indigenous people represented in yes. the news? I think they are doing such an amazing job at trying to shake up the narrative. You know, like, did you hear about the lip glosses that, that they came up with? I mean, they didn't actually sell them, sassy. right? Yeah, yeah, sassy. To, to, yeah. to really heighten awareness around the water issues yeah. on First Nations and reserves. And I was just like, I love that. And as a, as a teacher of media relations and, you know, communications and marketing, I was like, wow, that's so, that's so good. I actually have been meaning to reach out to them and say, guys, like you're doing, you're doing good stuff. So those that are be listening now, they've, they've got a good story. They've got a story to tell, or they've got something positive and they're from the Métis community. What's your tip to like, pitching a story? Because I know there's one thing like the old days of put it on the wire, right? <laughs> People would sit at the wire, the old days of, you know, J. Jonah Jameson smoking a cigar. What's, yeah. what's, what's the newsroom look like today to get a story pitched your way that actually works? Well, I mean, it's, you can of course do it a couple of different ways. You can just reach out to the tip line. You know, there's an email address that we have on our website and you can just send in your tips that way. But as we know, relationships always mean the most. So when I've actually had in the last few weeks, people reach out to me because they know I'm Indigenous and they've said, oh, I have this story that I want out there and here's who I am and, you know, stuff like that. And and so sometimes that's the better way to go is to, to send me a note personally. And, uh, you know, I, I'm certainly open to that and want to hear those stories. I'm not going to be, unfortunately, and you know this too, I'm not going to be the end decision on that. It's, you know, people do need to learn how to pitch something. Here's my story. I think it's this. And, you know, is there anything newsworthy that you see with this? And to be able to take that pitch and send it to me, and then I can convince producers to allow me to do it. But, you know, I only really get a small say in what I can do. 
as far as being able to to take the resources and to be able to you know implement the story but like for example this the story with the hatchery yesterday they reached out and said we're really really scared about the salmon we just did a story to do with the quick quit them people i think that was last week that was awesome i was producing that story with paul johnson so it was to be able to see this come back to the first nations people is so important so that was a broader pitch but sometimes they're smaller stories that do need to be told but they need you, you know just reach out to someone like me get to know reporters and no we're not always doing hard news and investigative stuff sometimes it's just it's just the good stuff that we want to cover too, right? Many of you uh, have noticed in comic books have alter egos. Clark Kent, Superman, Peter Parker, yep. Spider-Man. It's interesting that superheroes are often depicted as reporters <laughs> or working for a newspaper or, or you know, news outlet in their day yep. job. What, what, what do you think? Why do you think that is? I'm not sure. You're special people. We're annoying. You know, I, <laughs> I'm sorry. We <laughs> We're super annoying. I'm reading this excellent book called 100 Days of Rejection. And I highly recommend it. The last name of the author is Jang. Anyway, it's it's such a great, such a great book because this this gentleman reads a book talking about overcoming rejection. And then he challenges himself with all these different things, like 100 days of like trying all these things. Like, you know, says to someone, hey, can I kick a soccer ball around in your backyard to some guy? Yeah. Yeah, this plant a flower in someone's yeah, yard. Like, okay. Sell cookies for the girl guys. Yeah, yeah it's great. And so in this, you know, I was thinking about this book recently because I've been listening to bits of it. And I mean, this is what I do. And being a teacher is is not so much about the rejection, but being a journalist is definitely about the rejection and being able to overcome the the no, 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 sorry, you can't talk to me. No, uh, you know, the, what about the fact that we've got this, you know, journalism in general has a huge PR problem. You know, people don't like journalists. People don't, you know, they think we're, we're doing fake news. And, you know, that's disheartening to hear. And so when you've got that sort of problem with the PR around your profession, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily think that what you're saying is, is true, that we're, we're being depicted in a positive light, because I think most of the time we're not, not that we need to be, but anyway, for the rejection side of things, what I was going to get to here is just being able to like, not say, you know, not, not give up. And like I say, I'm, st I still end up having a, a deadline and I was really frustrated on Tuesday because I was doing a story initially about, you know, wait times and how many parents in British Columbia are having problems with their little ones getting sick. And I was trying to access data through the different health authorities around, you know, hospital wait times and critical care, what numbers we're seeing. And I couldn't get that information. And I was just really frustrated. I was just, I was trying so hard that day. And I'm new to this organization. So I don't want to be looked upon as, as not trying. And, and so in that sense, I think sometimes people don't understand that we're, we're really, really trying to get the information. We're trying to convey 
solid, useful information for people so that they can take better care of their children. And getting, thankfully, later in the day, and it was late in the day, that thankfully the Minister of Health, Adrian Dix, was was able to give us some information that we were able to build our story around. But it's, you know, rejection is something that I don't like. <laughs> I just want to tell a story. I just want people yeah. to give me the information, truthful information, and check it out. But yeah, you just have to be dogged. Yeah, that, was, that freedom of information. I, I waited eight months for a black mark document for a story I was doing. And I had paid money for it. I think I paid, what is it, $10 for that mm-hmm. piece of not very helpful <laughs> documentation. I know, or it's it's completely redacted and you're trying to read it. Going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. what? Yeah. And, and the stuff I wanted was the stuff that was pulled out in there. And then they used another reason why it couldn't be shared. But I was like, no, but that was the question I asked. Yes. Bizarre. Yes. Yeah. So it's it's hard to convey how much, like how hard we try. We're trying so yeah. hard to get that information right. So yeah, when I when I've been yelled at, oh, you're fake news. I, it hurts. Oh, it hurts. Okay, here's the thing. I didn't hear that until like the kind of Trumpism and then the the truckers thing. But before that, I've never heard that term before. Like I, it was like it seems to be like a Trump slash truckers thing. Yeah. Do you hear it outside of those worlds though? Yeah, I think. You think it, I think you're right. I don't think it existed. I mean, I think there was distrust with media again we we really? yeah i do think we have a problem if if we're not like canadian media we're talking about canadian media you can say the u.s because i know the u.s there's like there's like you know the fox slash cnn but in canada we've all seemed quite like you know they're critical of everyone there's no real like liberal or conservative publication i yeah i i i know that's it's it's interesting because i've got some really good friends who are american journalists and I think it's it's been very hard for them. Yeah, and I think they're different than us. In Absolutely, like like CBC. If anything, the CBC, you know, even just CBC bringing all the new Indigenous writers and journalists has been cool to see. But I feel like everyone has been quite. You know, you can't really put Global or CTV or anyone in a camp. It seems like. Well, I think that there are certainly organizations in Canada and primarily in the U.S., though, which they they have a mandate. They are, they have a bias, but I can safely say I don't have an agenda. I'm, I'm not right. I'm not left. I'm just trying to get the information. But I think when you have some of that noisy, biased media in the background that isn't really giving a full picture, then yeah, we've got people who can't trust what they're reading or hearing in all fairness. Even, even I go, whoa, why am I, you know, why am I reading this? This is, this is, this is like junk food for the brain. You need to really put that critical thinking cap on and decide what you, you know, you think is safe to consume. I just know for me personally, I've never done any reporting that I felt was really biased. Like I really do feel like I'm doing my best to get a full picture if someone's willing to talk to me. But yeah, it, to come back to your point, I, I, I think we, we were seeing a degradation of that trust um, prior to Trump. It just Trump really 
kept saying those words over and over again. And so now, yeah, it, it is surprising to me how much, you know, both my partner and I have been yelled at, you know, and I felt more sorry for him because he's a camera operator. So, you know, he'll, you know, he's gone to say a trucker protest and then he's being screamed at yeah. fake news, fake news. You don't even cover us. And he, he'd be like, yeah, but I'm, I'm here. <laughs> like, I'm here now. I'm here now. So why don't you be nice? Like, 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 get like me a, you know, bring me a coffee or yeah. Yeah, we're trying to um, cover this. Okay. So I'm going to ask this. I'm so curious about your perspective. Like, again, I don't believe it. Like, if not you, then who? Right. If, yeah. if, if you're not doing this work of investigative journalism and that of requesting those FOIs, being a, you know, be in people's bonnet, a thorn in people's side, who else is going to hold, you know, call it governments and people and groups and call it bullies accountable? Yes. And, you know, and putting them in the light of the court of public opinion. And that is that's my question. Yeah, And that is our job. We are the fifth estate. Yep. Well, yeah, we are. And well, and well. and, you know, if. If, for example, we're hearing of, say, for example, this week, the BC government said, okay, we're going to put in a mask mandate. We were actually panicking a bit, thinking, oh, great. Are people going to want to mask up again after we've, you know, come back from that? And, you know, so it looked like I might be tracking that story. And, you know, like I said, it just ended up working out that we were able to hear that, that no, this mask mandate wasn't going to come in. And, you know, it's not that I don't want to support that. And uh, again, I'm, I'm really very much in the middle on a lot of issues because I'm, I need to be, I want to ho- I want to open up my mind to all the sides that are there. But if you're not able to have that opportunity to, to, to be open around that, you know, you're, you're really closing off so much so much. And I think that's true of us, even as, as consumers of, of anything we take in for information, right? We, we, we need to be open, but yeah, it's, it's, it's an important job to, to hold officials feet to the fire when we need to, you know, I do try very hard to have balanced reporting, like I say, and I hate, I hate not having comment from, from a side that's important to speak to. And you know, it's what we have to do. And, you know, I'm not going to make an apology for that because we, you know, if there's something very wrong with the system, it's maybe a chance for change. Like I did a story on North Shore Rescue here a few weeks back. They weren't allowed to use their, their night vision goggles to do long line hoisting. So there was this weird, you know, regulation in the way that they couldn't get going on that. Okay. So why does that matter? Well, if you decide you're going to you're going to take a hike somewhere in, the, in on the north shore, if you're stranded and it falls dark, you know, you might be SOL. Excuse my language. <laughs> be out of luck. You're going to be stuck there. But they've got this equipment able to use it and you know, pull someone to safety and they said we've been waiting. We've been in a, you know, a holding pattern for, you know, years trying to get the legislation to get, you know, to pass so that we can fly and do this and save people's lives and couldn't do it. We did a story and that night, Mike Farnworth changed course. That's all it took. So those things are important, you know, for, for us to be able 
to do that sort of thing. That's not why I got into journalism, but I like the fact that you can make a difference. And, and to quote Uncle Ben, or depending on the multiverse, might be Aunt May, those with great power have great responsibility. And, and yeah. Julie, it's amazing to see how you're using it. Well, hopefully I'm doing it the right way. <laughs> doing my yeah. best. Thank you. Thank you for coming on the show and sharing. Yeah, you're welcome. Where can people find you, message you, get a hold of you? Where can they see you? Well, I'm on Twitter for who knows how long that's going to hold up for, right? That's an easy way to reach me. I'm on Instagram, now private account, but certainly any of that social media stuff. JulieNolan.ca is my personal website. So that's an easy way to to reach out to me. And at Global, I'm Julie.Nolan at GlobalNews.ca. So you know, if you got a story to tell, I want to hear about it. And Julie, thank you for joining us uh, on the Make You Speaker series, season of artists and creators. You being a content creator, a teller of truth, teller of good stories, true stories uh, for all of us here in BC and around the globe. So appreciate it. Thank you again. Such an honor to, to be able to talk with you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Métis Speaker series. And we'll see you next time on the show. This has been the Métis Speaker Series podcast. I'm Darian Kovacs. Thanks to Métis Nation BC for making this possible with funding provided by the Civil Forfeiture Office's Indigenous Healing Stream. You can listen to all of our episodes, learn more about the podcast, and sign up to the Métis Nation of BC newsletter to stay up to date on Métis News at MétisPodcastSeries.ca. You can find out more about the music we're playing by Love Life by visiting SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash lovelifeofficial, L-U-V-L-Y-F official, and link in the show notes for your convenience. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast listening device. See you again soon. Mina Kawapa Mitten. Thank you, Marcy, for listening. <laughs>